I wanna tell you a story today about an interaction that Jesus had that went the way that nobody thought it was going to go. There's a, a story in the Bible where, where it looks like the, the direction is possibly gonna head one way. And as, as commonly happens with Jesus, it doesn't go the way anybody would anticipate or expect. But to do this, I wanna really get us into the story and I wanna bring it to life. And I wanna help us understand what life was like for a person that was of the nation of Israel or a Jewish person in the days of Jesus. And so I wanna talk about there and then, say there and then. So there and then, um, Israel had been oppressed by several nations for hundreds of years. This was God's chosen people. And for hundreds of years, there had been these prophecies about a Messiah who was going to rebuild or reinstate the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And everybody had their idea of what that was going to be. Well, the problem was in Jesus's day, Rome ruled the world. Caesar was the most powerful person on the planet and, and Rome really had global domination and they would allow other cultures to continue to have their business and have their religion, but they had their foot on it. They, they taxed them. They had to ask permission for, uh, for like celebrations and special uh, religious organizational things like the Passover and things. And so Rome was really, really oppressing um, really oppressing the, the Israelites in this time. And one of the ways was the taxation. To be of, of the nation of, of, of Israel, to be a Jew in those days, I mean, it, the oppression was real. And rather than just teach it to you, I really wanna help bring it to life. So I need five volunteers who don't need to do anything other than receive money and walk off the stage. So I need five people, yeah, money. I said, got you, money. Dean, thank you, Dean, come on up here. Uh, yeah, come on up here, yeah, Brandy, come on up here. And I need one more, one more, I need one more volunteer. Okay, yeah, yeah, there we go, okay. So I need you guys just to stand in a line right here. Um, Dean, well, I'm gonna put Dean on the end because I want to have a little fun with Dean. Um, so, okay, right here, right here, right here. Okay, so here's how this would work. So Rome ruled the world. And in this time in history, the way you ruled the world is you would empower other leaders to help you run your kingdom the way you'd want to do it. It's, it's a, a macro version of how businesses run now. So, um, so what would happen is Caesar was the most powerful person on the planet. So Dean, you're going to be Caesar. So you get to wear our Caesar sign uh, for the next three or four minutes. You are the most powerful planet, person on the planet uh, in our illustration. But now in order, now Caesar, the way he would make, uh, make sure that you did what he wanted is he would tax you and he wanted to make sure everybody paid a tax. And so Caesar would say, I want my 10 or 20% but his region was far too big. So he would have other kings and leaders and regional leaders that he would empower to tax as well. And so you would be one of those people. And in Jesus's day, that was Herod who lived in Jerusalem. So you're gonna be Herod, um, you get to be Herod. And now, but your region was still way too big. And so to, to, to collect Caesar's taxes, because if, if you did what Caesar wanted, you were on his good side. But if you didn't, he would cut your head off, burn your house and kill all your children. Um, like true story. So like your, as we go down this line, your whole goal is to make the people past you happy. So Herod and Caesar, they wanted, if, if he, Herod did good, Caesar did good and vice versa. But Herod's region was far too big. So he would empower governors to, to, to lead much like we do. And that was the, a, a guy named Pontius Pilate in Jesus' day. So you're gonna be Pilate. And again, these were all dudes because unfortunately in this time in history, women didn't count. Not saying that's how it is today. Um, so you guys are our Roman rulers. So this represents Rome. And these were the people who did, you guys did Herod's bidding and there were more tears to this. Um, but here's how it would work. Caesar would say, I want 20% taxation. I wanna get rich. I wanna be able to build my kingdom. And he would tell Herod, I want my taxes. Well, Herod would say, well, or the king or whatever would say, well, if Herod, if, if Caesar's gonna get paid, I wanna line my pockets with this too. And the reality is Caesar doesn't really care what Herod does or how he does it as long as he gets his money. You feel me? So Herod is saying, well, if you're going to get your 10 or 20%, I want my 10 or 20%. So Caesar would say, I want 20% taxation. He'd tell Herod. And Herod would be like, okay, Pilate, here's the deal. Caesar wants 40% taxation. 
because 20 for me, 20 for Herod. And Pilate was, Pilate's going like smart enough to go, I know the deal, I want in on this. And so he would then have what were called tax collectors. Now, here's the unique thing about tax collectors. And this was savage of the Romans to do. Tax collectors were rarely ever Romans. They would get people from within the other oppressed nations and recruit them to oppress and enslave their own people. And these were the tax collectors. Brandy, you're our tax collector. So this is now not a Roman person, but in Jesus' day, this would have been a Jewish person recruited by the Romans to say, listen, every Jew is poor, but you could be rich and you will have the backing of the Roman authority and the Roman army as long as you do what we say. So now we have, Pilate would say, hey, I want you to be my tax collector. Well, Pilate's going, hey, uh, Caesar wants 60% taxation because Pilate wants in on this too. And the tax collectors were a little bit afraid because they were in the wrong tribe, but you worked for the right people. So they weren't as daring as others, but they still wanted to line their pockets too. And so you, remind me of your name, Denise, Denise you are a good God-fearing Jew in Jesus's day. Uh, so that's who you are. And so at this point, the tax collector is now going to come to you and say, um, you know what, I want, my, I, want some, I want to line my pockets on this. You know what, hey, I got really bad news for you. I know it's not cool. The Romans are crazy, but I'll lose my life if I don't do this. Caesar's asking for 80 to 90%. So here's how this worked. So what do you do, Denise, what do you do for a living? I'm a hustler. No. You're a hustler. Oh, you guys should trade spots. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> What's something you aspire to be? What did you want to be when you were a little girl? I'm an entrepreneur. You're an entrepreneur. Okay, you're an entrepreneur. So you're a modern day tax collector. No, that's cool. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. So here's how this would work. You hustled, you hustled, you traded, you, yeah. you beg, borrow, steal. There were some good Facebook sales. You, there was a, you know, a market. You got $20, so you got your $20. So you're like, I worked hard for this money. And that $20 would actually give you a really good living. You could take care of your family that week. You could do all this stuff. But here's the problem. Tax collector comes knocking and says, I got really bad news. Caesar wants his money. But here's how this would work. You only ever got to talk to him and he only got, ever got to talk to him, and you only ever got to talk to him. And none of you really care what happens as long as you get yours, because you would make the same threats, you would make the same threats, you would make the same threats. So what this would look like, um, our good God-fearing Jew is, is, our tax would say, well, Caesar, so you need $5 for Caesar. So Caesar, pay Caesar $5. But not only, do, I don't know, hold on to that. But not only it's $5 for Caesar, but it's really 80, you know, 89%. So actually Herod wants $5 as well. So you need to give her five for Herod. And a pilot, he wants five too. So you need five more. And now you're, you're like not quite a Roman, but you're still going to play the game. So now I'm like, well, that five is a little much, but you know, I actually, I need three. So you need to pay the tax collector $3 because they want to line their pockets. So now you have made everybody happy. And this is your job is to keep track of this. And so now, you know, all you know is Pilate said, give me 15 bucks. So five for Caesar, five for Herod and five for Pilate. You got your three? You're happy. Pilot, you got your 15 bucks, but you know that's not all yours or else they'll cut off your head, burn your house and kill all your children. So $5 for Herod, five for Caesar. Oh, you're being extra generous. Yeah, you ain't getting that back if you give it to him. That's just how that works. Now, Herod, you got your 10 bucks. Caesar, so, so now here's, a, here's how this would work. Caesar, you're the, you could do that if you wanted. Your, your house. Uh, so Caesar, you got your 20% or you got your five bucks. You happy? Herod, you got your five bucks and you paid him his five. You happy? You got your five bucks. You paid them their five bucks. You happy? You got your three bucks and paid everybody else. You happy? You happy? No. What happened to your $20? How much you got left? $2. Two dollars. $2. You're good at this. You're really good at this. The taxation of almost any Jew in Jesus's day was 80 to 90%. And there was 
you, nothing you, you could do about it. You could cry foul. You could complain. And Caesar's like, cool, you know what? I didn't like you. And you lop off your head, burn down your house, kill your children, more room for us. There was nothing you could do about it. And the worst person in this whole scenario is the tax collector. Why? Because you are actually selling out your own tribe, siding with the enemy, because everybody else is getting taxed 80 to 90%. So were there any Jews? That's right. That is right. Are there any Jews in this day that had, had money or were wealthy? No, except for maybe the tax collector. So you're kind of with them, but you're kind of not. You're kind of with them and you're kind of not, but you have the backing of them. So do you understand now when the Bible talks about, there's always like, there's like literally in their minds, this is just in their minds, there was a special place in hell for tax collectors. It's why the Bible always says sinners and tax collectors. They were like professional scoundrels. These people were scumbags. Brandy is not a scumbag, but our tax collectors were scumbags. You should join our team, no. Um, but, but this is, but you understand, like this is, this is the deal. So you're working and you're just trying to take care of your family and you can't get by and you go, I wish I could keep my money, but the taxation, and, and basically you go up the line and it's not my problem. This was what it was like to be a Jew in Jesus' day, to live under the foot of Rome, to have to, have to ask for special permission for your religious holidays, to not get anything that's yours, and there was literally nothing you can do about it. And then all of a sudden, a man named Jesus comes around and he's announcing a new kingdom that there's been prophecies about for 500 years. And we're like, everybody's thinking we're about to flip Rome on its head and you understand more the world of Jesus. All right, I need the signs. You can keep the money. Give our volunteers uh, a hand. Yes, thank you. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Don't spend that all in one place. So with that said, now that you know a little bit more about what life was like there and then, I want to tell you a story of one day when Jesus was walking down a road and had a very interesting interaction that went very differently than it probably should have. So Jesus, at this point in his life, the story is found in Luke chapter 19. At this point in life, Jesus has preached to thousands. He has broken bread and he has broken fish and he's fed thousands on multiple occasions, on multiple sides of, of a sea. He has spit in mud and healed blind people. He has caused the dead to rise. He's forgiven sins. He's walked on water. He's loved. He's touched. He's accepted women. He's accepted children. He's done all these things and he keeps announcing a kingdom that is about to be established, the kingdom of heaven. And so everywhere he goes, there is a mob following him of the people he's preached to and forgiven and healed and given hope to and touched. And, and he's been like, like anybody else ever. And, and he keeps announcing this kingdom and his following continues to grow and grow. And one day, Luke chapter 19 says, one day Jesus was walking down and a great, people, great amount of people were gathering him and, and watch this. It says, Jesus entered Jericho one day and made his way through the town. And there was a man named Zacchaeus, verse two. There was a man named Zacchaeus and he was the chief tax collector. Check this out. And this is why Luke includes some of the details he does in the region, and he had become very rich. How did Zacchaeus become very rich? Not because he was a better entrepreneur than anybody else, not because he hustled more. He was a sellout. He sold out his own God-fearing tribe for the oppressive Romans, and he was getting rich, robbing the people who had very little to make the rich richer and the poor poorer. But the problem was he wasn't a Roman. He was a Jew. He knew the Torah. He knew the law of Moses, and it didn't matter. And everybody knew it, but nobody could do anything about it because he had the backing of Caesar and Pilate and Herod and the Roman guard and the legions, and there wasn't anything you could do, and that was how they played the game. These were, these were the mobsters. These were the mafia 
of the day. These were terrible people. These were, I mean, the, this would have, they would have attracted the scum of the earth. And this man named Zacchaeus just happens to be in Jericho a day Jesus is walking through and there's a great crowd around him. Go to verse three. Let's check out what happens. So it says, he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. Story of my life. Okay. Uh, so he's going, uh, uh. So Zacchaeus is like, I just want to see Jesus. Uh, it says he can't see it, so he had this idea. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. So here's the crazy thing. Jesus is walking. Everybody knows who Jesus is. Everybody, does everybody know who Zacchaeus is? Oh, yeah, they all know. And they know who he is. They know about his parties. They know about his rich friends. And they know how they got, what, uh, they know how they got there. So Jesus is passing through. And it's so interesting to me that this Zacchaeus guy, who is literally a scumbag, the scum of the earth, he's a scoundrel. He sees this mob and he just wants to get a peek at Jesus. He's like, man, like what's, what's the deal? And he can't. So he's like, I'm going to climb this tree. I just want to see Jesus. And I can't help but think that even Zacchaeus is going, man, there's got to be, what is it about? Who is this man? Because see, Zacchaeus knew how to make people do what he wanted, but he didn't know how to get people to want to be like him. He didn't, he could make you do what he wanted, but nobody was following Zacchaeus. They might've been afraid of Zacchaeus. And I believe no matter how wealthy he was or how important he was in the Roman, to the Roman group at that time, there's something in Zacchaeus going, what is it about him that makes this crowd, they just go with him. They've skipped meals and they walk and they get dirty. They just want to hear him teach and touch their children and bless them. And what? Even though I have this money, what is it about him? I just want to see that type of love, that type of leadership. That I want to know what is it about this man that makes people follow, follow him. So he's in the tree. And then, and then in the middle of the story is like the most emotionally tension, passion-charged verse that I think, again, if we just read it with our American eyes, we just go past it. But when you understand the culture, it's like, so I want to invite us in the story and imagine what this moment might have been like. So it says Jesus has this crowd and, and they're around him and, and Jesus is walking this way, singing, walk this way, I probably. Um, and they're all doing, and, and they're walking and, and who knows what's happening. People are pulling out his tassels and he's like, who touched me? And all this stuff is happening and he's walking through and all of a sudden he gets to the middle of the town or whatever and he stops. Now, if you're the center of attention and a crowd is following you and you stop, what do you think the crowd is? If we're in the crowd that day, what do we do? We're like, shh, it's like Tiger at the 18th green of the Masters. It's like, quiet, please, right? It's like, he, what's he gonna do? What's, like, they were so intrigued at this Jesus guy. They wanted to know everything he was gonna do, everything he was gonna say. And so he stops and all eyes are on Jesus and the crowd is watching and he happens to stop right next to the tree that Zacchaeus just climbed. Check out verse five, it says this. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, so let me play this out for you. A mob of the people who you promised the kingdom is coming and they're like, let's do this kingdom thing. You walk up and the enemy happens to be in a tree. You stop by said tree. Everybody, what's he gonna do? Here's how it goes. Zacchaeus. Yes, thank you. If I'm in the crowd that day, if I'm in the crowd that day, and probably you too, I'm like, let's do this, JC. Get him, man. This is the time. The kingdom is coming. You bring him down. We'll rip his limbs off. We'll burn his house. We'll kill his children. Like, it's, he's about to get what's coming to him. I'm that, I got your back till he hits you. I got your back till he hits you. You know, I'm that guy, you know? Like, yeah. Like, if you're in the crowd, if you're in the crowd and there's been all this stuff and this promise in the kingdom and he's the Messiah and he's the Savior and it's coming and he's like Zacchaeus, the we're like, let's go! 
You tell him, Jesus, this guy is finally about to get what is coming to him. He is a no good scumbag, scum of the earth, sellout, cheater, liar, traitor that hangs out with prostitutes and is a drug dealer and is a drinker. And he is, you tell him where to go with his soul. Yeah, that's how you feel. So he's like Zacchaeus, I promise you. If you've ever been in one of those really awkward, oh my gosh, what's about to happen moments, this was it. He's like Zacchaeus and everybody's like, what's about to happen? Now, let's get out of the crowd for a minute and let's imagine for a second what it's like being stuck in a tree. (laughs) Now we're Zacchaeus. He has this mob who loves him, will do whatever he says and has promised a new kingdom. And he stops at your tree and he's like, Zacchaeus. If you're Zacchaeus, your heart is beating out of your chest. You're like, uh, your whole life is flashing before your eyes. You are very aware that you are a cheater, a stealer, a liar. And and while the Romans may have your back, there ain't no Romans here right now. (laughs) And even if they get in trouble for hurting you tomorrow, that doesn't do you any good today. And all of a sudden, Zacchaeus is confronted with the most influential man, perhaps in that moment, with the most power and authority, and Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus is like, I know I'm a liar. I know I'm a cheater. I'm about to pay the piper. It's that moment, and some of us have had it, where it feels like every mistake you've ever done in your whole past has come and caught up to you in this one moment. And it's like, here's the badness of who you are. And Zacchaeus is probably fearing his life and, and freaking out. And the crowd is like, I've been waiting for this moment. <laughs> and then Jesus does the wrong thing. Verse 6, Jesus says, Quick! Come down. I must be a guest in your house today. What? (laughs) Tell me he said rip his legs off. That's what I heard him say. (laughs) Jesus said rip his legs off and feed him to the birds, right? He said, no, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. And here's what you got to know about that statement. Back in those days, to have a meal with somebody was so different than it is now. You didn't just do that. To have a meal with somebody was way more than just grabbing a bite to get your fill to find out if the Popeye's chicken sandwich is really better than the Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich. Like, it was way more than just filling your, fill your soul. It, this was about, if you were to be invited or invite yourself to somebody's house, it was a token of acceptance. It meant that I'm willing to associate with you, that you and me are good, and I'm willing to be seen with you, and I approve of you. And so Jesus says, I must be a guest at your house today. Everybody's like, you gotta be kidding me. Don't you know who he is? Now, listen, if I'm Zacchaeus, I'm like, listen, Jesus, that's awesome. But today's not a good day. There's still all kinds of drugs on the table from the party last night. I think there's still three prostitutes passed out on my living room. Like the mafia is still like working out the last day. There's a bunch of cash that doesn't belong to me, but I need it to get to where it's going. Cleaning lady doesn't come till Friday. It's only Tuesday. Could we reschedule? Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's what's going on in my mind. I'm like, listen, this is not the best time. Like, that would be me. I'm like, oh, God wants to come over for dinner. Great. You know what I mean? This is not the best time. But Zacchaeus has a completely opposite reaction. Watch what Zacchaeus, he says, I gotta go be a guest. And it says, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down 
and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Why? I am convinced that no matter how bad your past is, no matter how much you are ashamed and guilty and feel like you wish you could be anybody other than what you are and erase your past and do all kinds of things over and you might have murdered, you might have stolen, you might have killed, you might have kids all over the planet that you don't know. You could have this crazy, you could have this crazy story. I'm convinced every single one of us wants to know that at some point, even at our worst, that there is a God that would look us in the eyes and goes, I still want you. And that, if you live in that culture, is exactly what Jesus said to Zacchaeus. You know what he said to him? He says, I must be a guest. And you know what he's really saying? I accept you just as you are. He didn't say, go clean your house up. He didn't say, go invite the rabbis and priests. He didn't say, change your behavior. And if you can clean your lifestyle up and follow these rules and get better at the 10 commandments, then maybe we'll have dinner six months from now. He didn't do that. Religion does that. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus takes us right where we are in the middle of our mess. And he says, I just want to be in your life. So he says, so here's what Jesus does. He does the same thing to Zacchaeus he's doing to us every moment. And he's doing it to us today, no matter where you're watching. He's making an invitation to be a part of your life. He's saying, hey, I want in, I want in your life. So Zacchaeus is like, I'm not too far gone. This is crazy. I got to host Jesus. And he invites all his friends. Well, who are Zacchaeus' friends? Scumbags. The mafia prostitutes, drug dealers. That was who it was. And he's like, Jesus is coming over. They're like, does he know what we do? Yeah, come on. You know? So they have this party and they have this gathering. And, and now if you're in the crowd, do you think you're super excited for Zacchaeus' soul? No, he's been robbing you. He's the reason you can't feed your daughter. Well, Luke didn't leave that detail out. Verse seven says, but the people were very displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. Not just a sinner, a notorious sinner. Professional grade A scumbag sinner. They grumbled. Why? Because they forgot about the heart of God. And if I, hey, listen, if I'm in that crowd, I'm, I'm here. You know why? This is, I'm just telling you, this is how, there's, this is in us. I think it's in all of us. If I'm in that crowd, I'm going like, you got to be kidding me. I've been going to Sunday school my whole life. I memorized the Ten Commandments. I know the book of Moses. I wash my ears. I serve my mother. I clean the house. I, I put away shopping carts. Like, I am a good Jewish, like, I am a good Jewish, God-loving, law-following, make-my-community-better person. What do I got to do to get a meal with Jesus? And you're going to choose the enemy, the sellouts. Are you kidding me. This was the heart of the crowd. They're like, how could he go be with them? But while they're grumbling, the, the bad guys are partying with Jesus. And the craziest thing happens. The craziest thing happens in the middle of this meal that Zacchaeus is hosting. It, there's nothing that says Jesus preached three points in a sermon. He didn't go preach three chapters. He didn't tell them all like, before we eat, you guys got to change your ways. He just brought his love and his presence. And in a moment, Zacchaeus was transformed because that's what happens when you receive Jesus. You are transformed in a moment. So in the, middle of this, in the middle of this, Zacchaeus has this crazy like transformation and in the middle of the meal, he's like, stands up, he's like, hey, I got an announcement to make. Verse eight, while Zacchaeus, meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood up before the Lord and said, and this is in front of all the tax collectors and heathens, I will give half of my wealth and money to the poor. And if I have cheated people, I love it, it says if, it's like it's if it rains and it's humid today in Florida. Like, <laughs> no, you know you cheated. If I have cheated people, what he means is anyone I've cheated. If I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them four times as much back. Now, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, in Deuteronomy, there was something that said, if you wrong somebody, you must pay retribution two times back. So Zacchaeus is doubling it. Zacchaeus, in the middle of this, has this transformation. He says, hey, 
I am gonna give my wealth to the poor people. Who are the poor people? That crowd that he robbed, that he knew, that he went to school with, that he grew up with or whatever, that he's like, hey, I'm gonna give it back. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it back. And not only that, but if I've cheated you on your taxes, so he's just gonna say, I'm gonna take care of all the poor people. And additionally, if I have ever wronged you, if I've ever cheated, if I've ever wronged you, I'm going to pay back more than I took. I'm going to make it right. And Jesus' response to me is, in this story is to me is just so unbelievably loaded. Jesus says this profound, like crazy thing. Jesus says this. Salvation has come to this house today. I just, I just imagine Jesus sitting back watching Zacchaeus make this announcement, just smiling, going like, yeah, he's getting it. And, he's, and Zacchaeus is like, I'm gonna give it, I'm gonna take care of the poor. I'm gonna give stuff back. And Jesus says, salvation just came to this house. And, and when he said salvation, he just didn't mean his soul. He, there, that word is so loaded. Zacchaeus experienced salvation because he just wanted to get a peek at Jesus and Jesus invited himself once again into his life and Zacchaeus actually took Jesus up on it. Maybe, just maybe some of us are watching or listening and we need that salvation and Jesus is inviting himself into our life and he's saying, today could be your day. I have what you need. And when you read this story, there's three things that jump out. But before we do, I love that, include, that Luke, the story could have ended here, but Luke included the, the last verse because he wanted to remind everybody of the why of this story. It's like, hey, crowd, while you're all grumbling, just in case you forgot what Jesus is about, verse 10 says this, and I love this. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He's like, in case you forgot, I didn't just come for the Israelites and the Jews. I came for everybody. I came for lost people. I came for bad people. I came for the prostitutes and the drug dealers and the tax collectors and the Herods and the Pilots and the Caesars of the world. And even though they oppress you and even though you hate them, they're my children too. I came to seek and save that which was lost. And so today I am gonna leave the crowd because in the tree, there's a bunch of found people today and in the tree there's a lost guy. And I think maybe today if I invite myself into his life, he might receive me and have a heart change. And not only will he win, not only will his family win, but you actually all will will win too because it will be restoration and redemption for the whole community. This was the heart of God and this is what the crowd missed that day. They forgot. And see, and listen, this is important to know. It wasn't at the expense of the crowd that he loved Zacchaeus because Jesus spent a lot of his time in his life preaching to the Israelites, healing the Israelites, feeding the Israelites, walking on water, choosing Israelites to be his disciple. So what Jesus was saying, it's not an either or, it's not a us and them, but it's everybody. Anybody who's lost, salvation can come. And as we look at this story, Zacchaeus just did three simple things. And if you are looking for salvation, or if God is maybe trying to speak to your heart or draw you in today, I believe these are the three things that God wants to say to us today. How did Zacchaeus experience salvation? Simple, number one, he received Jesus. And if you are taking notes on your planner, these are your fill-ins. He received Jesus into his life. Zacchaeus, Jesus said, Jesus made an invitation. Can I come be a part of your life? And Zacchaeus said, yes. He just received Jesus. But it didn't stop there because it could have just been a meal where no transformation came. Jesus loves you a lot. He loves you so much right where you are, but he also has transformation in mind for you so that you can experience the blessing in the life that you've been missing out on. And so he didn't just receive Jesus, but here's the other thing that happened. He, after that, he stands up and he says, I'm gonna give half my wealth to the poor. What was he doing? Zacchaeus let go of the thing that was the most important to him. What was the most important thing to Zacchaeus up to that point? Money. Money had been driving his life. How can I get wealthy like Herod? And so he says, I'm gonna let go of the thing that's been the most, I'm gonna take care of all the poor people. 
And then he didn't stop there. And this one is really important. He took it one step further. Not only did he let go of the thing that was the most important to him, but he actually made it right with those he had harmed and cheated and stolen from. Maybe, maybe salvation, the part of salvation that God wants you to experience today is not receiving Jesus. Maybe you've done that, but maybe there's some, still some lack of redemption and restoration. And maybe God is speaking to you today that you need to go make it right. You need to make it right. There's a lot of power in I'm sorry. And this, I didn't know this at the time, but this so mirrors my story because, see, when I grew up in church, and so when I was three years old, uh, I was introduced to Jesus. More importantly, I was um, scared about hell. They literally scared hell out of me. And so I was like, oh, I want Jesus. I want to go to heaven. Like, I, this hell place sounds terrible. Um, and so I would tell you that at three years old, I invited Jesus into my heart. But I, there were things for a lot of years that were more important to me than Jesus. There were things that were the most important thing. In fact, I was different than most guys growing up. I just wanted to have a family. I wanted to be married. I wanted to be a dad. Um, that was kind of my thing. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem was that was more important. And, and it caused me to make decisions and, and, and go down paths that, that, that were, didn't benefit my relationship with God because it was more important than my relationship with God. So when I was 22, I was, I was uh, reading the Bible. I was doing uh, just some prayer time and I read this little devotional which is just helping me walk through my relationship with Jesus and ask the question. It said, fill in the blank. When I, when I get this, I'll truly be happy. And I was like, oh, when I get married, I have a family. I was like, great. I didn't know they were setting me up. Suckers. <laughs> the next question then said, if you never get that, is Jesus enough? And I was 22. And I was just mature enough and just honest enough with myself that moment to answer honestly. And I said, no. And I started weeping in a prayer time by myself because I realized, well, I wanted Jesus to be everything. There were some things that were more important than him. And me and God went to work. And I've talked about that journey, but we went to work. And so I would say it to you this way. When I was three years old, I invited Jesus into my heart. But when I was 22 years old, Jesus invited me into his heart. And I gave him everything. And it was a journey. And, 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 and I wanted the family but God said, that can't be more important. And listen, the family was God's idea. I'll show you a picture. This is my family. This is all I ever wanted right here. That was the dream. And God had no problem with me having that. He just needed it to not be the most important thing. And so I died to the idea. And in that process, true story, I didn't know this. In a six-month period where he's like, give me everything, make it right. I ran into every single one of my ex-girlfriends except one. <laughs> but you know what God had been talking to me about? Making it right. And so I got to look every single one of them in the eyes and apologize for not being the man of God that they needed me to be and an example of a man of character and integrity and being a taker and not understanding their needs. And, and I got to make it right. And I, there was a different level of salvation I experienced with that because I got to make it right. And, and, and I'm, I'm fighting, this, fighting to keep it there and, and, and it's a battle. But that's, the, that's what God has for us is salvation coming to this house, coming to our lives. Here's the truth about our situation. There's no sin too great for God's grace. There's no sin. There's no habit too big for God's healing. There's no label that's too strong for God's love. Paul, who wrote to these same Romans who started following Jesus, says this. I am convinced, Paul says, that neither that nothing in all of the world can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither fears today or worries tomorrow, not powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth, beneath, below. Indeed, nothing, nothing, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What does this mean for us today? Like Zacchaeus, 
God knows your name and he, know, he knows your story. He knows the crowd. He also knows your name and he's just wanting to invite you into his life. And he has salvation and redemption in store for you and those around you if you would receive Jesus. If you would let go of that thing that's the most important, if you would make it right, you're going to experience God in all kinds of new levels. Zacchaeus did those three things and this morning we have the same opportunity. So I'd love to pray for us as we close. And I wanna invite, I'm gonna ask some questions. I wanna pray for different groups of us. But before we do, I just wanna give you 15 to 30 seconds to just bow your heads and close your eyes and ask the question, God, what are you saying to me today? With everybody keeping your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask three questions and I'm going to pray for all of us. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. If you're here today, I believe with all my heart Jesus is making the same invitation to you and he made Zacchaeus and he's saying, will you have me in your life? I, want, I must be a guest in your life. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus, but you would like to and you'd like me to pray for you, just slip your hand up and put it right back down. Every service we've had people say yes to Jesus and I want to include you. Okay, you can put, just slip it up, put it right back down, that's fine. If you're here today, and you say, man, there's some things that are just, have become more important than God. There's, there's an important thing in order for me to experience the salvation God has. I need to let go of that important thing. Pray for me, pastor. Just slip your hand up and put it right back down. I see those hands. Just put them right back down. Just, this is a moment for you to be honest with God. You don't need to leave it up. Likewise, if there's a situation and you know what it is in your life and God's saying, there's some things I want you to start making right. That's what I got for you today. And you want me to pray for you. And that's you slip your hand up and put it right back down. I see those hands. Would you, would you be willing to just stand with me and let's pray together. If you're physically able or comfortable, let's stand and pray as we close. Uh, I'm gonna cover all of these and I'm just gonna invite, if you raise your hand on any of those and even if you didn't join us, can we pray this prayer together? And I'm gonna lead us in a prayer that kind of walks us through the story we just, we just heard. Repeat this after me if you would. Heavenly Father, I thank you that there's nothing, there's nowhere I can go away from your love. So God, I'm receiving Jesus into my life, into my home, because of your love. Because you love me right where I'm at, but you also have better for me. So Jesus, come in and be the Lord. Likewise, Father, there's some things I need to let go of. Help me to let go. Help me to trust you with it. Help me to make you the most important thing. And God, there's some things I need to make right. Give me the strength, give me the courage, give me the humility to go back and make them right. And Father, I thank you that you never give up on me, that you're never done with me, that you have great plans for me. And I thank you for your love. And I thank you that salvation has come to my house today. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God praise? We thank God. He's so good. Amen.